0: Well, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 5 today as we continue uh, to walk through the book of Galatians together. Uh, Again, just as a reminder, if you're new with us today, we've been uh, walking through this study and seeing how Paul wrote this letter uh, to a group of Christians there in Galatia who had fallen into a false gospel and false teachings. Uh, He had gone and planted a church there. He preached the true and genuine gospel, but there were uh, Judaizers who came in behind him. These were some of the Jewish Christians who were teaching that in order to be truly saved, uh, you not only needed the gospel, but you needed works. And so Paul has been speaking out against that in his letter so far uh, to make it clear that the way we are truly saved is through justification by faith in Christ alone, uh, that we're made right with God through the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, not through our works, that when Jesus on the cross said uh, it is finished, that it it was, that there was nothing we add to that. And so Paul has been pointing out to the Galatians uh, the error of their ways. He's been uh, talking about how tempting it is to fall into false gospels and false teachings. Uh, He shared with them about how he rebuked Peter and Barnabas and others uh, when they started to fall into this false teaching from the Judaizers and affected their behavior and they were hypocrites. And now he's going to turn in chapter 3 uh, to bring them back to the foundation of the gospel. And he'll do that through asking them a series of rhetorical questions uh, to point out the, the truth of what he's seeking to teach them. So we're going to look today at Galatians chapter 3 verses 1 through 5 and add a reverence for God's word if you're able to if you would stand together. As I read this text for us. Remembering this is God's inspired word for His church today. And this is what God says to us through the Apostle Paul. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Would you pray with me, church? Father, we pray You would take the reading of Your Word today, that You would help us not only to hear it, but to respond to it in faith. I pray, God, that You would do a work through the power of Your Holy Spirit to to remove blinders from our eyes, deafness from our ears, that we might see and hear and comprehend and respond to the gospel. No matter what our circumstance today may be, I pray that we would put our hope in Christ and in Christ alone and ask that in His name. Amen. You may be seated. From time to time, there are headlines that catch my attention. One uh, just over the summer caught my attention maybe it caught yours it read this man arrested after calling police to have his drugs tested Uh, the story went on to talk about how a man in florida had bought this illegal substance had used it had a bad reaction and so he thought he would call the police to report the person who sold it to him and he wanted to get his illegal substance tested to see if it was actually what he thought he was buying and so the police said sure bring it on down and he did and this he was arrested. Uh, that was followed up by another news story I saw not long after that where uh, a criminal had stolen merchandise, and I guess criminals run together. He had a friend who was a thief, uh, so this other thief stole the stolen merchandise from the person who had stolen it first. And so his response was to call the police uh, to report his stolen merchandise stolen and told him who took it, and so the police, of course, caught the thief and the thief and arrested both of them. Uh, there's all types of TV shows and specials at times that kind of point out this folly, the, the foolish criminal. Uh, you may have seen those reports and shows. I remember one not long ago where uh, a man was seeking to steal an ATM machine, and so he, tied, or he put a chain around his bumper and around the ATM machine. He tried to pull it out of the wall, and instead it pulled his bumper off of the car, and he left his bumper with his license plate behind uh, so they were able to catch him. Uh, another story was of a man who went to rob a convenience store, but uh, before he did, he, he made a purchase that required his ID. He gave them his ID, uh, and then he left it behind after he had robbed the store. Uh, there's all these stories that you see of foolish criminals, but uh, being a fool is not something reserved just for criminals, is it? Uh, the Scripture speaks very clear about foolishness. In fact, well over a hundred times in the Bible, we see this warning against foolishness, uh, most of them in the book of Proverbs. In the book of Proverbs, about 66 times, we see this warning about being a fool or acting foolishly. Beginning with the first warning in Proverbs 1.7, where we read this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 18.2 tells us, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Proverbs 18.6 says, A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. (laughs) Just clear scripture that tells us about foolishness, all the way up to the New Testament and the Gospel, where Jesus warns people and calls them fools at times. In fact, in Matthew 23, you may remember, that's the chapter that has the seven woes to the Pharisees. I've talked about the Pharisees a number of times recently in our study of Galatians because we see in the Pharisees that, that hypocrisy, that, that foolishness that was in the Judaizers. And that's exactly what Jesus calls the Pharisees. He points out they are blind fools. And that word that Jesus used, it doesn't mean that they were mentally deficient. It means they were mentally lazy. That they were careless. Careless. And that's exactly how Paul is using that word here in Galatians. He's not looking to the Galatians when he says, oh foolish Galatians and saying that they're, they're slow of mind or, or they're mentally deficient. He's saying to them, you're being fool because you're not acting on what you know. You're being unwise. You've forgotten to remember what it was you were taught And instead, you're being swayed emotionally by those who would come in and would tempt you to believe in a false gospel. And so Paul calls them back to the genuine gospel by addressing them clearly that they are being foolish. And in doing that, he reminds them and us today of what it is we need to remember and what it is we need to focus on. Beginning with the first point there I've put in your outline Paul reminds them that believers need constant reminders of the gospel. Believers need constant reminders of the gospel. Paul asked the question, verse one, "Who has bewitched you?" That that word in the Greek means to to charm or to fascinate in some way. It's the sense that someone has lured them away, has appealed to their heart rather than their mind. Essentially, what Paul is saying here is, "Have you lost your mind?" Why aren't you thinking with your head? They were taking feeling over fact, emotion over intellect, and he's telling them, you're you're not using your head here. Someone has lured you away from the truth, and so he reminds them of the foundation of the truth as he continues in verse 1. He says, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. And so what Paul does here is he brings them back to the foundation of the Gospel. And the foundation of the Gospel is the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus. Paul is not saying to the Galatians, you publicly witnessed the crucifixion. He's saying you publicly saw it portrayed. You you heard it. And how did they hear it? They heard it through Paul's proclamation to them. He's saying that I was so clear in my proclamation of the Gospel to you that 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 you could literally see it. You understood it. You had clarity about the crucifixion. Paul's reminding the Galatians, and I think the Lord's reminding us through this text as well, that that there's no gospel if we don't talk about the crucifixion. That that there's no gospel if we don't talk about the cross. And we need that reminder today. That there's all kinds of things done in the name of the gospel, in the name of the the, the faith today, that, that has nothing to do with the cross The gospel is packaged as this good. It's presented to people in a way that seems more appetizing, more available. And in doing that, so often, we don't talk about sin, we don't talk about hell, and we don't talk about the cross. And so you'll hear people talk about, you know, God has a plan for you, Jesus can be your forever friend. But if they don't ever mention sin, if they don't ever mention the cross, they're not presenting the gospel. I was reminded of this. Number of years ago, I was reading a story in Christianity Today, and it was an interview with, at that time, a fairly well-known pastor. He since abandoned the faith, and you'll see why as I read this. But, but at that time, had had a large, growing church, uh, was sought after, speaking at conferences, writing books. But he'd become a bit fuzzy on this issue of the gospel, and so in the interview, he was asked in, in just a few sentences to share the gospel. In a few sentences, he was to share the gospel. I repeat that because when I read to you his answer, you may think, now what was he doing again? He was supposed to be responding to a question, what is the gospel? And this is what this pastor said. I would say that history is headed somewhere. Well, I'd agree there. Uh, This is where it gets a bit fuzzy. The thousands of little ways in which you are tempted to believe that hope might actually be a legitimate response to the insanity of the world, actually can be trusted. And the Christian story is that a tomb is empty and a movement has actually begun that has been present in a sense all along in creation. And all those times when your cynicism was at odds with an impulse within you that said this little thing might actually be something bigger, those tiny little slivers may in fact be connected to something really big." End quote. Anybody want to walk the aisle now? Did you understand that? Did you hear any mention of Jesus? Did you hear any mention of sin? Any mention of the cross? That this is someone who was a pastor. This was their job to clarify the Gospel. And yet in this muddy mix of a response, that there's nothing there about the cross. And in a far less articulate way, I fear that's exactly what happens in pulpit after pulpit after pulpit today. People preach Jesus, but they don't preach Christ crucified. That they'll tell you, Jesus did this, so you do this. Here's ways you can be more like Jesus. But they don't preach the crucifixion. And friends, if we don't preach the crucifixion, We're not preaching the gospel. And what we're indeed doing is much like what the Judaizers did. They were coming to the Galatians and saying, if you really want to have a relationship with God, then do this, do this, and do this. And when we don't preach the crucifixion, and we just teach Jesus as a good moral teacher, and do what Jesus did, and ask what would Jesus do, and try to do that, then what we're telling people is you could will yourself into the faith. If you just try harder, you'll be okay. Okay. And the cross of Jesus Christ says something radically different. It says that the only thing we deserve as a result of our will is death. And Christ died in our place. And it's only through His crucifixion that we might have life in Him. If we don't preach the cross, we don't preach the gospel. John Stott said it this way, There is then, it is safe to say, no Christianity without the cross. If the cross is not central to our religion, ours is not the religion of Jesus. Friends, do you understand that? If you were asked in an interview today to to share the gospel in a few sentences, could you do that? Would you give a mixed up, muddy answer like that one that pastor gave that I read? or, Or could you clearly present and articulate what the gospel is all about? And if you aren't sure that you could, Let me share with you what the Apostle Paul said. Let let me share with you his response. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. What is this gospel? He goes on to say it. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. That is the gospel. Jesus died in your place, and you are called to respond by faith to that good news. Apart from the cross, there is no gospel message. Paul reminds the Galatians here that they need to remember this gospel they responded to. Can can you remember when you responded to the gospel? Can can you remember when you first came to understand the truth of the scripture? That that we were all that we are all indeed sinners, that, that, that you are a sinner? When Romans three twenty three says, All have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Romans six twenty three says the wages of sin is death. Do you remember what it was that first time to feel just that that conviction of sin in your life? To realize that no matter how hard you tried, you could not be perfect. You cannot make yourself right with God on your own. Do you remember what it was to hear that glorious truth of Romans 10? That if you confess Christ as Lord, if you believe in him with your heart, that you could be saved, that glorious truth of Romans 5.8, that God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I hope you remember that. I hope you think of it often. See, the gospel isn't something we just need to hear once at a young age so we can walk an aisle and get baptized. The gospel is something we need to hear over and over and over again. And if you're genuinely a believer of Jesus Christ today, if you're genuinely a follower of Christ, that then you will welcome that gospel because it will resonate with you. If you are offended that people keep sharing the gospel with you, if it gets old to you that your pastor keeps talking about the gospel, that that's an indicator that maybe you've never responded to it to begin with. I had a conversation not long ago with a man, and I was beginning to, to go through this, this presentation of the gospel, and he saw where I was going, and he just kind of stopped me. <laughs> so why, wait a second, wait, I'm, I'm already a Christian. You don't need to do all that. I'm good. He's kind of offended. That, that I would go that direction. Friend, if you want to share the gospel with me, you can share it 100 times a day. It's the best news I've ever heard. And if we don't receive it as the best news we've ever heard, then maybe we've not heard it. Maybe our response then is a flesh one to say, well, why are you sharing this with me? Because look at me, and look at what I've done, and look at how okay I am, and I don't need this, someone else does. Now, we need consistent reminders of the Gospel, not just each Lord's Day, but each and every day. And where do we find those reminders? We find them in the Word of God. Among many other reasons, we need to be buried in the Word every single day because we need to be reminded of the Gospel. We need the Gospel for our marriages. We need the Gospel for our parenting. We need the Gospel for our businesses. We need the Gospel for every relationship we have, for every dollar we spend. We need to be saturated in the Gospel in our day-to-day lives. And that doesn't happen apart from opening up this word. Paul begins in this questioning with the Galatians of reminding them that believers need this this consistent reminder of the gospel. Point two, he he then takes them towards this. Believers need a, a biblical understanding then of the Holy Spirit. Verses two through four; these questions he asked. They're all pointed towards the work of the Holy Spirit. That there is so much confusion in the church today, just as there was during the time that he wrote this to the Galatians about the role of the Spirit in the believer's life. Far too much to cover in our time today, but but in general, you, you have essentially two camps of thoughts. You have those who I believe have a now show my cards here a biblical understanding of the Holy Spirit, which we're going to talk about right now and what the Scripture teaches about the Spirit, and then you have those who have more of an unbiblical, sensationally, emotionally driven view of the Holy Spirit. All kinds of second baptisms and second blessings that, that you're kind of a junior Christian at first, and then if you're really the pro-Christian, then you can really be filled with the Spirit. And yet the Scripture says, friend, you, you can't even begin to fathom what the Gospel says apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. There is no salvation apart from the Spirit's work in your life. So this notion that somehow the Spirit works later is foolishness and is completely inconsistent with what the Scripture teaches. And so Paul notices pointing this out in his questions. Verse 2 he says this, Did you receive the Spirit? Now not some of you, he's speaking to them as believers, so of course as believers they've received the Spirit. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now, Paul's already clearly established, he'll go on to establish, the answer here is hearing by faith. Uh, Again, it's it's a rhetorical question he's throwing out to them. He's saying when you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you received the Spirit. When you became a Christian, you received the Spirit. In fact, you became a Christian through the Spirit because the Spirit's the one who convicts and leads you to repentance and makes it possible to confess Jesus as Lord. Without the work of the Holy Spirit, none of us would be saved. It's the Spirit who opens the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf to see and hear the Gospel. In fact, that's why Paul says in Romans 8, 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. In fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. What is he saying there? He's saying that, that if you have the Spirit in your life, you're a Christian, you have Christ. If you don't have the Spirit, you're not a Christian, you don't have Christ. You can't have one without the other. The Spirit comes and dwells within the believer to bring them to faith and repentance in response to the gospel. Apart from the work of the Spirit, there is no salvation. He goes on to say this, verse 3, Are you so foolish, again, you're, you're unwise, you're not thinking here, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And now Paul's saying, listen, it's not just that you're saved by the work of the Holy Spirit, you are sanctified by the work of the Holy Spirit. Sanctification being made more and more like Jesus in our everyday lives, becoming less and less like the old self in the flesh, more and more like Christ. This is only possible through the work of the Holy Spirit. This is the consistent teaching of the Scripture. God does not save us and leave us as we are. And God does not save us and make us perfect versions of ourselves overnight. (laughs) No, God saves us and then begins to work on us so that between the time of salvation and the time of glorification, when we go to heaven or Christ returns for us in that time period, we grow in becoming more and more and more like Christ. We talked about this last Lord's Day. It may seem like an up and down experience at times, but it is a progressive one where we're becoming more and more like Jesus as we walk with Him. And this is a work of the Spirit, not of the will. Paul points this out in Philippians 1.6, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Friends, are you ever tempted to think that that work won't be completed? <laughs> is there ever an area of your life that you struggle with? Maybe your anger, your temper, your, your mouth, your attitude... Where you find yourself just kind of falling in a rut and doing the same thing. You begin to wonder, man, will this ever get any better? Is there any improvement at all here? And we talked last, Lord's Day, about the, the fruit of the Spirit, that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. Do you ever think about some of those things and think, man, I just I don't know that there's any growth here. Listen to what God's Word says. I am sure there's confidence that He who began, it's not a work we do, it's a work He does. That work in us will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God is doing a work in us and through us. And as we submit to Him and His Lordship, He will continue to work these things out. And by the grace of God, we see growth in these areas. This is the work of the Spirit. John 16, verse 8, it's the Spirit who brings this conviction in our lives about sin and our need to repent. Romans 8 Romans 8, Paul is talking about how the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers us to live the Christian life. After going through this passage that we should identify with, where he talks about the things I don't want to do, I do, and the things I want to do, I don't do, but there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. He goes on to give this great treatise about how it is the Spirit who does this work in us. Not just to save us, but to sanctify us, and He doesn't end there. Because it is a Spirit who empowers us to persevere through great times of suffering. Verse 4. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? That that word vain means with no purpose. Paul here is saying essentially, friends, do you think your suffering had no purpose? Again, it's a rhetorical question. The point here Paul is saying is your suffering has a purpose. And there are all kinds of false teachers here who would say, well, no, that your suffering isn't from God. Your, your suffering is because of your lack of faith. Your suffering is because you're, you're not trying hard enough. It's not gospel. It's heresy. There's many who teach it. Now, Paul says here, there, there is purpose for your suffering. He says suffering so many things now he doesn't go through a list here with the galatians of all the things they've suffered we don't know exactly what he's referring to but but an understanding in the new testament church and the persecution and all those things begins to bring to light they were probably suffering greatly for this faith that they're now a part of in fact galatians 4 latter part of galatians 4 he, he refers to their persecution and so paul is essentially saying listen it's not just the Spirit who saves you. It's not just the Spirit who sanctifies you. But the, the Spirit's the one who's going to help you to persevere through the suffering that you are enduring. He's saying that God has a purpose for suffering in your life. I think one of the most difficult questions I get asked as a pastor, one way or another, is the question of what, why does God allow suffering? Why, why me? Why this? I have said it many f- times before. Suffering's not proportional. But we will all suffer. And some of us will suffer so enormously that, that we are tempted to listen to the false teachers of our day who say to us, well, we did something wrong. Or if we just had more faith. But listen again to what Paul is saying here. He's saying, listen, was was your suffering in vain if indeed it was in vain? He's saying, listen, was your suffering without purpose? Do you you really think it was without purpose? It has a purpose is what Paul's saying here. Well, listen to what he says about his own suffering in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. He says, the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in Weakness. Notice he doesn't say my power is made perfect in the strength of your faith. (laughs) My power is made perfect in you trying really hard. My power is made perfect as you are more faithful. No, he says my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul says exhibit A, listen to me. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Do you hear what Paul's saying there? He's saying that he grows in contentment as a believer because the more he suffers, the more he clings to the cross of Jesus Christ. That the more he suffers, the more he sees the power of the gospel at work in his life. In essence, Paul's saying, without suffering, we tend to ignore the cross and the power of Christ. God has a way of speaking to us through our suffering, friends. C.S. Lewis said it this way. We can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists on being attended to. I talked to a dear sister in the first service who was suffering with gout. I don't know how many of you have had gout before. It insists on being attended to. And maybe it's not gout. Maybe you've had something else where you cannot ignore The pain. Maybe you've had hardship and had suffering. You can't just shake it off. You can't just push it to the side. You have to attend to it. It insists on being heard. So Lewis says this again. We can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is His megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Why does God allow suffering? Why is He allowing it in your life and in my life? Why didn't He just wipe it all away so that we don't suffer? Why didn't He just wipe all the pain away and all the tears away and all the death away? Why doesn't He give us a life free of suffering? He does. That's the point. That's what's coming. That there's a day, He says, when it's all wiped away. And friends, that day isn't for a year or a decade or a century or a millennium. That is our eternal state of being in a new heaven and a new earth. And this life right here, this blip on the map, this this small, small window... He allows that suffering in our life that He might make us more and more into the image of His Son that we might cling to the cross that otherwise perhaps we might ignore. Paul says there is purpose in our suffering and it is then that we grow in our understanding of the work of the Spirit. And then point three. A reminder and a question. We become a believer then through through hearing the Word and responding in faith. The question is, are you a believer today? Verse 5, Paul asks another question. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Again, in this rhetorical question, Paul saying, you, you receive salvation, you receive the Spirit, you're able to persevere in suffering. How? Through hearing with faith. Friends, it's not enough to hear the Word. You have to respond to it by faith. So so the answer is not, well, pastor, I've I've heard this over and over again. Great. Have you you heard it with faith? Have you heard the Word in such a way that that your faith is then placed in Christ, that your trust is then placed in Christ? Romans 10, 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. So we need to hear the Word, but then in response to the Word, we need to place our faith in Christ. So that's what happens in salvation. We, we hear the Word. We, we understand that we are fallen, sinful, deserving of the wrath of God, that Christ has died in our place. We hear that Word and we respond through putting our faith in Jesus and our trust in Jesus through confessing Jesus as Lord. We hear with faith. That's how we're saved. It's also how we're sanctified. (laughs) But we become a Christian. We're certainly not perfect. We've got all kinds of issues. We read the Word. The Word points these things out to us. And then we continue to receive the Word with faith. Lord, I'm going to trust You to do this work in me. Lord, I can't do this on my own. Lord, would You do this work to the power of Your Holy Spirit that I might repent and walk in Your ways. We are sanctified through the work of the Spirit through hearing with faith. And then suffering. I mean, I realize it's all well and good to hear someone from this pulpit say your suffering has a purpose, but do you believe that today? Is that your initial response to trials? To calamity? To suffering? To sickness? To death? Is your initial response, Lord? I don't understand it, but I need to trust You in the midst of it. Help me to trust You, Lord. Because the temptation in our hearts in that moment is to shake our fist at God. I don't deserve this, Lord. And our temptation is to look around at the world we live in and to see people who aren't seeking to walk by faith, who are just living in sin, and to say, well, Lord, maybe they deserve that, but I don't deserve that. And then we find ourselves sliding right into this category Paul is preaching against where we are trusting in our works and what we do. God calls to us in those moments through his word to say there is reason for your suffering. Will you trust in him in the midst of it? Or will you see your heart further hardened towards him? See, that's what hardships tend to do that they tend to harden our hearts towards God. And so you see one of two reactions so often when, when hardship and suffering and trials come. You see people who will run to the cross and you see people who will flee it and don't want to have anything to do with it. And the only thing to change that hardened heart is the work of the Spirit. And so that's what we pray for. And that's what we long for. If you know somebody in that category today, there, there, there's no magic bean <laughs> no pixie dust there's there's no perfect verse you're going to pull out of the bible and say well what about this one that there's a work of the holy spirit that needs to work in their heart and change it that they might see in their suffering in their pain in their calamity there's still a cross calling out to them for repentance and trust and faith Do, do you trust him today or are you hearing by faith in the midst of suffering today I want to share with you in closing the story of one who did. One who had every reason to shake their fist at God. It was a young man born in Ireland in 1740. He had a good Irish name, Augustus Toplady. <laughs> but he was born during one of the hardest periods of Ireland's history. From 1740 to 1741 was the Irish famine. Close to 40% of the population of Ireland was wiped out in those two years. They had all kinds of problems, weather-related, extreme cold, extreme rain, so that most of them lost almost entirely their harvest, their livestock began to die, and then there was mass starvation. Every family in Ireland was touched by this. And it was during that time that young Augustus was born. Can you imagine that, being born in the midst of that type of environment, that type of tragedy but it didn't end for him. He, he was the only son in his family. His father was a major in the military. In the first year of his life, his father went out to war and never came back. He died in battle. And now this young man in an impoverished family in the midst of a fam- famine would have to grow up and be the provider for his family because he had no father. And so his heart was hardened towards the gospel and towards God. His fist shook towards heaven. But all that changed one day when he was 16 years old. He was walking near the farm where his family lived, and there in a barn was a preacher. <laughs> and this was actually common late 1700s. This, this preacher was preaching a revival in a barn, and so he, he stopped and began to listen to what he later said was just this uneducated man <laughs> sharing from the Scripture. But, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, this word penetrated his heart, Ephesians Chapter 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He heard the cross preach and he responded in faith and repentance at the age of 16 and God radically changed his life. Over the course of the next two decades, he would become a great preacher. He would defend adamantly the gospel of Jesus Christ against all types of attacks, but he would die an early death at the age of 37 of tuberculosis. His life was filled with suffering. But shortly before he died, he wrote these words. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. Not the labor of my hands can fulfill Thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite? know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and Thou alone. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to Thy cross I cling. Naked come thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me Savior or I die. While I draw this fleeting breath, when my eyes shall close in death, when I rise to worlds unknown and behold thee on thy throne, rock of ages cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. One who suffered so greatly had such a deep understanding of the gospel. Friends, perhaps your suffering and mine today are that we might know Christ more. If you would stand together as I pray for us and as we sing this great familiar hymn, Rock of Ages. Father God, we thank you for the cross. We thank You for the testimony of people like Augustus. The testimony of Paul. This reminder from the book of Galatians. Our suffering has a purpose. You are at work in our lives through the power of Your Spirit. You not only save us through the Spirit, You sanctify us through the Spirit. You empower us to persevere through the Spirit. So Father, I pray that our response to Your Word today would be one of not just hearing, but of hearing with faith. Help us to trust You today with whatever we are enduring. Father, if there's one here who's yet to trust You for their salvation, I pray God today they would confess Christ as Lord and cry out for redemption and salvation. Lord, if there are those here struggling this morning with sin in their life as believers, God, would You show them the wonderful sanctifying work of the Spirit that they don't have to keep vowing and trying harder, but Lord, they can repent and they can trust You. And they can have faith in You. And You can do a work in their life. Lord, for those who are suffering today, would You encourage them that this world is not our home, that this life is for a moment, but in this moment, God, You are using suffering for a purpose. You're calling us to cling to the cross today. So I pray, God, that that's what we do. In the name of Jesus, we ask. Amen.